Thank you. If you will, take your Bibles tonight and turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. I ask you, I ask you, boy, I feel like the weight of the world is on the right side of the room. This side's almost filled, and Ralph is the only one over there, so... Mark chapter 6, I ask you, how long has it been since um, you felt like God did something unexplainable or unimaginable in your life? How long has it been since um, you've seen a miracle? We're going to read about a miracle tonight as recorded in Mark. When we think about miracles, William Jennings Bryant wrote this about miracles. He said, Some skeptics say, oh, the miracles, I can't accept miracles. One may drop a brown seed in black soil and up comes a green shoot. You let it grow and by and by you pull pull it up by its root and find the roots red. You cut the root and it has a white heart. Can anyone explain how this comes to be? How you cast brown into black, resulting in green, and then red and white. And you eat your radish without even troubling your mind. Men are not distressed by miracles in the dining room. They reserve them all for religion. Hmm. How long has it been since you felt like God did something in and around you, something unimaginable, something inexplainable? And I mean, it could be somebody healed. It could be somebody saved. It could be somebody restored. It could be somebody repaired. It could be a heart that was broken and is now mended. How long has it been since this happened? A few weeks ago, I talked to you about lower room thinking where we tend to live and think and act in the lower room, which the Bible would call fleshly thinking. I want to submit to you tonight that too often we miss so much because we live on the lower level of the natural, the ordinary, and the explainable. Hmm. I'm not going to get into the hows and the whys, but even this week I was reminded how much we don't really expect or think God can do the extraordinary, even by preachers. We tend to want to take the super out of the supernatural nature of God. Vance Havner said this, he said, We leave no room for God to do the exceeding abundant thing above all that we ask. I want us to take a look at this story tonight, and let's see the, and let's pray for God to do something unimaginable, something extraordinary, something unusual. If you will, if you found this, most of us in this room are able to stand as we read these verses and this story. Mark chapter 6, we pick up in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. 
For many were going, coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is late. Send them, probably pointing to the crowd, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something to eat, buy themselves something to eat. But he, Jesus, answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five loaves, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. All and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Father, I pray that tonight you would do something in our heart that's unimaginable, that's inexplainable, something that's unusual. I, I pray that you will open our eyes, that we can see the mightiness of your hand, the wondrous of your word. Help us, Lord, to... Catch the vision of, of who you are and really what you're capable of. Help us not to stand in the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I look at this story, I declare to you that feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes is nothing short of extraordinary. Would you agree? I'm going to say that again because you're not paying me any attention. I want to say to you that feeding 5,000 men, that's men, probably were more like 12,000 with women and children, to feed that many people with five loaves and two fishes is nothing shy of extraordinary. Is that, you know, the, the truth is, I, I got to thinking about the crowd who'd be here tonight, and I thought with this crowd tonight, I want it just to get us thinking. Would you do that with me? Just kind of get our minds in, in gear. I want us to think, is it, why is it that we read about the miraculous things that Jesus does and how he works in the lives of the people in the New Testament, and yet today we seem to miss out on it? I understand there's some people that believe God doesn't work anymore. In my mind, that means that God's gone from impotent, I mean, from omnipotent to impotent. And my God is not impotent. 
is yours. You see, the, the truth is, this group tonight, I believe, would really like to see God do a work here. Like to see God do a work in our hearts and our lives. Like to see Him do something exceedingly, abundantly, far above and away anything we can even imagine. Do we want to see that? Do we really want to see that? No. I do. And I'm going to ask you a question that's going to offend some of you. Could it be that we're stopping God? Could it be that we're stopping God? Now, this is one of those truths that divide people down the line today because there are those who will stick their chest out and go, My God, sovereign, and He is. They'll go, My God can do what He wants, and He can. But then they'll say, And there's nothing we can do to stop Him. And it is that point that I dare say that we walked outside of Scripture Because according to Scripture, that's not right. Both Matthew 13 and Mark 6 record something very unusual. Records that when Jesus came to his hometown. Now remember, he this was a town he loved. He wanted to do the most in his hometown. And yet when he came to his hometown, Matthew says he could not. Oh, Matthew said he would not. And Mark said he could not. Think about that. Why was he unwilling or unable to work in his hometown? The answer is simple, yet sobering. The truth is, he he could not and he would not, the Bible tells us, work do much in his hometown because of their lack of faith. I call it the Nazareth principle. I want you to think about that. Why is we do not see the supernatural hand of God in our world today right here? You see, folks, I believe that God wants to do a supernatural, unimaginable, unusual work in America. But I think God wants to do a supernatural, unimaginable work in Alabama. If you just want to get more to the point, I think he wants to do that kind of work in Hueytown, Alabama. And I just wonder if he has now come to town, and just like in his hometown, he has found people lacking in their faith. There's a theology that's permeating the Southern Baptist that kind of concerns me. It's called cessationalist theology, which basically means God's not working anymore. His gifts are not active, not working anymore. You may have that theology. I just have to tell you, I don't find it in Scripture because I think the same God who resurrected Jesus from the dead is the God that I worship today. Hmm. How about you? I want us to take a look at verses 41 to 44 tonight. 
I want us just to kind of lift out some truths here. Do you know the story? They got out in a desolate place. Jesus frequently carries us to a desolate place. Do you know why? But because he wants us to depend on him. They're out there and people are hungry. And uh, they looked around for what food they had. That's what he told them to do. And they came back with five loaves and two fish. And 5,000 hungry men. Ladies, you wouldn't like those odds, would you? I'm just going to tell you, it says in verse 41 to start with, it says, And taking the loaves and the two fish. The boy offered his meal. Jesus took it in his hands. And here's what I'm telling us. However much or little we think we have, if it's not surrendered from this morning, if it's not surrendered to him, he's not going to use it. What would have happened if the boy had said, no, thank you. My mom packed this lunch for me. This is not anything for everybody else. Would the miracle have happened? We can't say definitively yes or no, but chances are he'd have had to do it some other way. Isn't that sad for us? If we was hold something from the hands of Jesus, he took it in his hands. Now, think about those hands. Those hands were hands that had reached, already reached out and healed the sick, already cast out demons. And now it was taking what was given to him and blessing and blessing. Pretty soon those same hands would be nail scarred. Jesus took the food in his hands. And what happened? Didn't think you'd ever ask. Just three short thoughts here. He took it in his hand, and I want you to first see the blessing. It says he took it in his hand, and he blessed it. You know, I was interested. I was, it was interesting to me as I studied this text, what that word blessing, what the Greek word was for that. <laughs> Did you realize that the Greek word for blessing right here is the word that gives us our word eulogy? Most of us think of a eulogy where at? At a funeral. And yet what it really means, it means to speak in favor of, speak in praise of, or even invoke God's blessing. That's, that's really what this eulogy is supposed to supposed to mean Jesus took this food and he looked up to heaven and he thanked God for it. And he was deeply thankful to have something to work with, something to work from, and he asked the blessing. I have to tell you, uh, this may be funny to some of you, it may be offensive to some of you, but I never read this scripture without remembering a movie that I saw in the 60s as a kid. How many of you remember the movie Shenandoah? A few of you? Uh, Jamie, will you uh, let the lights off and make sure one of those, uh, um, one of those channels are... I want to show you, this, this prayer right here has impacted me all of my life. Direct your attention to the screen. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. 
It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. I wonder if it sounds like us sometimes. You know, I remember hearing that, and I remember as a kid just laughing. I said, Daddy, did he really say that? And he said, yeah, he did, son. Lord, we, this, we did it. It's ours. But what I'm trying to say to you is that Jesus, when he took that five loaves and fish in his hand, he does a little more than just simply offer thanks He knew that in his hand laid the contents for the miracle that would meet the crowd's needs. And that's what he's all about, meeting people's needs. He he took it and he blessed it. Can you imagine? I just, I have one of these minds that run crazy sometimes. Can you imagine? When the disciples found that all they had in this crowd was five loaves and two fishes, can you imagine the conversation that went on? Can you imagine them doubting Jesus? You know, I would even suggest that Peter might have said, oh, let's just don't even, this is not enough to do anything with. On this side of the miracle, as I, as I read this, on this side of the miracle, we know what's going to happen because we've read it so much. I mean, when I started reading that, you go, oh, yeah, this is that feeding the 5,000. Jesus took five loaves and two fishes, and everybody ate, and there was some stuff left over. From this side of the miracle, it's easy, and it's natural, and, and it seems like something should happen. But what if you had been one of those disciples? What if you had been one of those looking in the crowd? You got any food? You got any food? And after going through the entire crowd, all you had was just a little bit. Or would you have been one of those that said, well, Jesus brought us out here to this remote place to let us die, to starve us. I wonder, probably not, but I wonder in the Jewish heritage when they were out there and they had nothing to eat, I wonder if Moses and the children of Israel came to mind, how God led them out to a remote place, how God led them to the wilderness where they had nothing to eat. And he, had to, he, pro, he provided food. I wonder if in that crowd, I'm just telling you, hi, hi, and I'm thinking of the church today and the crowd then, I just wonder in that crowd today, if, in that crowd back then, if somebody said, you know, Jesus doesn't really have enough for everybody, so I'm going to go take care of myself. I wonder how many times, because we don't trust him for the miracles, I wonder how many times people come into churches just like this one, and they leave with the idea that Jesus don't really have enough for them. Because he barely has enough for the crowd that's regular. And yet, when we look at the blessing, Jesus gave thanks for what he had. And in the face of impossibility, have you got that yet? Impossibility. He blessed the food. What's our lesson? Perhaps when we face the possibility as a church or as an individual follower of Christ, if we learn to be thankful for what we had instead of grumbling about what we didn't have, 
instead of catching a bad attitude about how we've been left out. Perhaps God would come through once again. It's a matter of this of just trusting God. This speaks to us having literally a meaningful prayer life where we recognize God's provision, where we recognize God's power, where we even recognize God's participation in our life and in our church. I wonder how many times do we come to junctures in our church family and we think, this is just not enough. Our community has all these needs, and we just don't have enough. We, we, we need to do this, but we just don't have enough. I dare say the disciples said that. It's amazing when you gain the Lord's blessing and he moves in to do something unusual. It's amazing how, y'all remember the song? Little is much when God's in it. The blessing. The second thing I see, Jesus took the bread, and he blessed it, And then what did he do? He broke it. I want you to see the breaking. The breaking. You see, he he took it and he broke the bread. Now, that breaking seems simple, but it should have a spiritual meaning for you and I. You see, Jesus broke the bread, and then it says he divided bread the fish, and everyone ate until they were filled. And then there was some left over. When I think about him breaking the bread here and it it covering so many, I'm reminded of the upper room where Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he was broken on Calvary's cross. And when he was broken on Calvary's cross, what happened is that the spiritual food of his grace, the spiritual food of his mercy, the spiritual food of his salvation flowed from the cross to reach to every sinner, to every person. And it continues to flow today and it flows freely. What would have happened had his body not been broken? It would not have ever reached everyone. And what intrigues me about this entire story and even the cross is that that Jesus is broke. He's breaking the bread there in the upper room. He's breaking the bread here for the 5,000. He's breaking the bread to fulfill a larger purpose and meet an unimaginable need. There's a picture here that I think is lost on the church. And Christian life today. If we, you see, God doesn't expand his kingdom in a vacuum. Jesus left us with specific instructions to go and tell, make disciples, win. Because as the Father sent me, Jesus said in John 20, I'm sending you. And the truth is, is that is that one of the unpopular things about today is that is that he he comes and he wants our lives. He looks around, he says, like he, like they looked around for the food. He looks around for us and says, What's there? 
And so when we, here comes the word again, when we surrender to him, he holds our lives in his hand. And he blesses us. By the way, just being held in his hand will evoke a spiritual blessing. And then he blesses us. And then just like the breaking of the bread symbolizes, then he comes and holding us in his hand, he comes to break us. He wants to break apart our pride. He wants to break apart our sinfulness. He wants to break apart our selfishness. He wants to break apart everything that stands in the way in order that he might divide us, as it were, to use us in a larger way. You see, when I look at this and I see the breaking of the bread and my mind goes to the upper room, he is breaking us to fulfill his larger purpose of bringing salvation to the world. I'm just going to say it again. That's not popular. People don't like that. People want to hang on to their pride. People want to get prideful about all their talents and all their gifts and all their resources. And what Jesus is trying to do, what our Lord is trying to do, He is trying to break us because it is still true. Do you remember? God resists the proud. He stiff arms the proud. And He only gives grace to the humble. And you don't believe that. Look back in the Old Testament. Look at Moses. Moses had all the upbringing of someone that could be a deliverer. He knew a deliverer was supposed to come, and he has all the, all the upbringing, all the background, all the education to be the deliverer. So he decides that he's just going to deliver. So he goes out. What does a deliverer do? He goes out to deliver. So the first day he goes out to deliver when he became of age. Now, this crowd loves that. Because you don't even become of age until you're 40 years old. That's how old he was. He became of age. He went out and he found uh, um, two. And he found a striving going on. He killed the Egyptian. Egyptian and a, and a Jewish guy striving. He killed the Egyptians. He buried him in the sand. And his deliverance had started. Isn't it interesting how God's wind of revelation will blow away the sands that cover our sin? And he was discovered. He was still prideful. So God had to send him. He sent him there 40 years to learn some things. And then he had to send him to the backside of Midian to forget what he had learned. You get to Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush. And this once proud man said, you know, Lord, I got it under control. I can take care of this. This once proud man has now had his hand, has his life put on, has had his, hand, has had his life touched, his hand put on him by the Father to say, I want you to go back and do what you thought you wanted to do four years ago. And now the pride's gone. Now the arrogance is gone. And he says, Lord, they won't hear me. If I go, they won't listen to me. Not me, Lord. Now the arrogance is beat out of him. And it was at that point that God could shape him into what he wanted him to be. You see, that's the breaking of the bread. How about King David? There's so many, and we could, we could stay here talking about how God broke down and, and broke apart and, and worked brokenness in their lives. 
You see, when I think about when I think about America, when I think about Alabama, when I think about Hueytown, when I think about my heart, how about yours? I'm thinking that that in my heart, do I harbor a Nazareth, a Nazareth-like opinion, attitude? That God, He can't come and do anything around me because of my lack of faith, because of my faith in me instead of my faith in Him. I want Him to do something unimaginable. And the only way He does that is that if He gets my life in His hand and He takes it and He blesses it and He broke and He breaks it. See folks, I believe God's calling me and you to make a difference in our area. I believe God is calling us, and when He calls us, excuses will bound. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough something. Maybe it's just the fact that we don't have enough faith. Hmm. So the question permeates us. Is God going to have to break us to get our attention? I say this quite embarrassed, and because I am embarrassed about it, I won't tell you how or why, but I remember a couple of times in my life when God severely broke me. I really don't want that to happen again. It's kind of like, it's kind of like James Dobson said years ago, you know, when he first started making his videos, they were on VHSs. That's how long ago. And I remember hearing him say in one of his first uh, VHSs, the question and answers came. He said, Dr. Dobson, do you believe in corporal punishment? And he said, well, um, he said, first of all, everything doesn't rise to the level of corporal punishment. He said, what we have, we have a society that is either on one side going to Spanky kids for everything. And then on the other side, you have people that are going to spank your kids for nothing. He said, you need to have, you need to use common sense and make your, com- and make your decisions of how you're going to discipline things while your head is cool. And I thought when he said that, you know, because the truth is, if you're a parent, particularly if you're a parent of a young kid, the time to decide how you're going to discipline your kid it's not right after they did something that displeases you. He said, yes, I believe in corporal punishment. He said, let me just say it this way. He said, when a kid does something and he messes up, you need to apply the, uh, the right, correct measure of discipline for his action. And he said, having said that, here's what I will tell you. If a kid comes out looking for a fight... I don't think you ought to let him down, and I don't think you ought to let him win. You see, the truth is, God does not... When we come out looking for a fight because we're prideful and arrogant, God will ultimately, if we're really His... Now, let me say this. It really depends on if we're really a part of His family. I have discovered that God rarely punishes children of Satan. They got enough on their backs already. But when you're a child of God and you start embarrassing him, he will take action. And he will break us 
And if he can't break us and bring us back into line, I've been a witness a couple of times when I, only eternity would tell, but a couple of times when I believe that people were carried home to heaven prematurely because they were so stubborn. Because God's desire is to use us and make our lives better. But he's not going to let us embarrass himself. So we get back to the story. He gets the five loaves and two fish in his hand, and he blesses them. And after he blesses them, he breaks the bread and he divides the fish so it can be used for a larger purpose. The third thing that I'll just bring to your attention quickly is what I call the bounty. Now, we don't use that word much. We know what bounty hunters are. They bring in criminals and get money. Generally, generally bounty is something that's uh, given generously. Now, I want you to catch this idea with me just as we get moved toward ending this message, kind of landing the plane. Jesus began with the five loaves and the two fish, and he fed 5,000 men plus women and children, probably 12,000 people, and each there were 12 baskets left over. Each disciple who was worried about how they were going to feed everybody. Lord, you want us to go spend 200 denarii? You realize that was 200 days of pay because a denarius was a day of pay. You want us to go spend 200, that over six months wages to buy them food? Send them away. And Jesus not only fed everybody there, but he gave each disciple a basket full left over. I mean, if you had been a food handler... If you had been one of those disciples handling food, Bubba, (laughs) would you have been tempted to take a nibble while you were passing it out? I'm going to get a little bit of this because I know there's not going to be enough left. Do you understand what I'm saying? And yet at the end of the day, Jesus took care of everybody. When I read this, doesn't tell me, but when I read this and in context of the, of the Gospels, I believe nothing had stretched the disciples' faith to this point like this. And now, when they see what's happening, they are actually bug-eyed. They started off five loaves, two fishes, and they end up with twelve baskets. How does that happen? Here's how I'm going to tell you how it happened. Because the disciples were faithful, and Jesus made sure they were taken care of. The bounty principle. Can I just give this to you? I know you, few of you are right, and here's the, what I call the bounty principle, is that when we totally trust God, He never runs short. When we trust God, generally, He overflows. What if the boy had said, yes, I have my lunch and it's mine? What if he had been Baptist and he said, it's mine and I'm going to keep it? Hmm. Folks, when we hang on, God hangs on to His blessing. But when we turn loose, God turns loose of His blessing. Hmm. So we get to the end of the day, and here's our question. Will we or do we truly trust God? Hmm. I've already said it. I believe, people, I believe the reason you're here on a Sunday night is you'd like to see God do something extraordinary, unimaginable, unexplainable. But here's the question. 
Do we trust God enough to give Him what we have and take our hands off of it? Do we trust Him enough to know that He not only can take us to heaven in the sweet by and by, either when we die or when He comes back, but we can trust God for next week. We can trust God to balance our bank statement. Well, maybe not get in and reconcile it, but we can trust God to, to, with our money. Do we really trust Him enough to trust Him with our schedule, to trust Him with our life, to say, you know what, if I commit to this, I can't do that. And I want to do that. But He wants me to do this. But I'm going to do that. Do we trust Him enough to change our mind to do what He's called us and wants us to do? I mean, what if the disciples had evaluated this situation? What if they had evaluated it and they, and they said, you know, Jesus really don't need to know what we have. We have such a meager amount of food. Or what if they decided, pass this out? Jesus blessed it and he broke it. I'm going to eat it. They're not going to get it. Whew. I'm running over so many truths here that have so many um, applications for today. What if Jesus gives us some great blessing? People think of money. It could be money. It could be talent. It could be something else. And we decide that we're going to keep it. We're not passing it out. We're going to keep it here. You know what would have happened in that crowd had they done that? They would have never seen the miraculous working of God. They would have never seen what Jesus could do. They would have never borne witness to what we call a true miracle. I wonder if today in our culture, in our society, in our churches across this land, maybe here in our church, I wonder if we miss God's blessing because we are afraid to step out of our comfort zone to let Jesus do what only Jesus can do. I want to go back to Moses. And if you can hang on to this picture of what's happened in that desolate place where the multitude had gathered, where Jesus had the five loaves and two fishes and the 5,000 men to be fed, he brought those five loaves and two fishes and he had them in his hand. Watch this. Now compare it to Moses at the burning bush. Moses says, do not listen to me. And God says, what's in your hand? I heard Jack Taylor preach on this many years ago, burned in my mind. What's in your hand? Can you imagine that conversation? He's standing at the burning bush. They're talking about whether he's going to go back to Egypt or not. And God changes the subject. He says, Moses, what's that in your hand? Well, Lord... That's a rod. Why are you changing the subject? We're talking about me going back to Egypt. What's that in your hand? It's a rod. Throw it down. Throw it down, Lord? I got that since I've been here. I've had that for 39 years now, and it helps me to take care of the sheep. Throw it down. Lord, you don't understand. I am really good with this rod. This rod is mine. 
Nobody else owns it. I can keep the sheep in line. I can tap them if they get out of line. I can guide them. This is my rod. Throw it down, Moses. And he threw it down. And it became a snake. Hmm. And the Scripture says, I love this part. This is a Jerry Watts. This is for me. He fled from before it. Depends on what your translation said. He ran from it, but he fled from before it. I, I am on board with that. Moses had not been on the backside of the desert having a love affair with snakes. He knew. And God said, now come pick it up by the tail. And I don't think he stopped running near as fast as he started running. And when he got back to the snake, he looks at it and he says, God, now you want me to pick up that, that snake? Yep. By the tail? Yep. You know, Lord, um, not running your business, but if I pick it up by the tail, that leaves the, uh, the business end of that snake free. And God said, finally, you got it, Moses. If you'll take the lesser end, I'll take the business end. If you'll take the part that I give you, I'll take the part that's mine, and we'll see some things happen. And he took that rod. It tells us in verse 20 of chapter 3 of Exodus, he took the rod of God and went back to Egypt, and he decimated Egyptian mythology with the ten plagues. Here's the principle. God begins with what we have in our hands right there, right at that time. For Moses, it was a rod. For Jesus with his disciples, it was five loaves and two fishes. What is it for you? What do you have in your hand that God really wants to do something unreal with? Are you going to grip it tight? Are you going to turn it loose and let him do with it as he will? Let's pray together.